You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and we are here today with episode 51, and this is going to be a buzz episode about lawns. Uh, we had a little turf war last week, we- and now we have to do this. <laughs> but first, friend, I have a confession. Yes. Uh, forgive me, Father, tell me, for I've sinned. <laughs> I actually just receded my lawn last <laughs> Did- week, and I thought, I thought about irrigating it, but I didn't. It was supposed to rain. And it did rain a little bit, but not as much as I needed it to. And I was like, oh, this grass isn't going to come up unless I throw some water. And I held off more because I just didn't have the time to do it. But You know, I will say in – even though I'm getting ready to sell my house, I've been in this house for on and off for 21 years. I've owned the house for 21 years. I have never fertilized it, reseeded it watered it i've mm-hmm. never done anything to it now i off, i also have zoysia grass which i don't know a lot about other than it goes dormant it creates a very thick thatch layer and goes dormant mm-hmm. in the winter so in the winter yeah. it looks dead yeah but yep. i don't have a lot of weeds in it other than onion grass and a couple dandelions and it looks good because of the 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 climate but mm-hmm. i have way too much lawn but i'm not doing anything about it because i'm getting ready to move yeah so yeah. if it wasn't for the fact that if i were staying i'd totally be changing a lot of that and a lot of the back i've where it's it's wet i have wetlands in the back in a pipeline mm-hmm. where i've let it go to meadow and things like that but um and have added seed to it but. yeah the the big thing and why why i had to do this was uh i shouldn't say i had to but i did do it was uh the front lawn looks great mm-hmm. and we, same thing never irrigated never fertilized it's just i mow it high and that's it yeah um the backyard we've had some disturbance like we put in a well five years ago and there's just there's some bare patches that had just not come back <laughs> so yeah. and uh or if they did come back it wasn't grass at all it's been not even clover i don't i'm not even wow. sure what it is but it's not what we want there yeah um especially when it's something where my son's gonna play in a couple of years it's we want to have grass yeah so uh so that's why i i did that gotcha. last week um, because there are some some benefits to it, but yeah. we're going to get into that later. We are. I'm, I'm still really getting my bearings after the soil episode. I mm. learned a lot, and it was really a lot to take in. You know, and I, I said before, I, I don't know my soils, and I'm not just saying that. I really don't know. Mm. I know a limited amount, so it, it was really a lot. It, it. I mean, we didn't go into specifics. It was more ethical yeah. uses for yeah. it. And, it kind of made me think of – we have a a, a friend, uh, Tim Gower, who mm. has a nursery, and some of his land is on the former Jersey Jerry land here in New Jersey, which was a big apple grower. And one of the things that – you know, Tim is very big on soils, and Jersey Jerry was, was very big on soils too. And one of the conversations they had was that orchards in New Jersey produce a better – tasting apple because it has to do with the soil interaction it has the right soil for fruiting apples which makes the apple more delicious but the consumer wants a good looking apple Mm -hmm. which because of the climate 
comes from typically the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Yep. They they produce a beautiful looking apple, but it's not necessarily the tastiest apple. Where mm-hmm. New Jersey produces a really good tasting apple, but it's not a pretty apple, and yeah. it kind of <laughs> loses out over looks. But he was like, a lot of the the crops that we do well here are because of the soil mm-hmm. and and match up. And it made me think of that like how many people know that like how many people realize that yeah the soil does make a difference and um and uh oh yeah sorry i'm i lost my spot here (laughs) (laughs) but but uh and that kind of it it makes a difference into everything but i guess this is where i was going to go with it we tend to look at things have just gotten so global overall like with every every recommendation it's no longer uh, you're no longer getting your local information of what you need to be doing yeah. locally. You're getting a a broad overview of say, oh, you need to fertilize 16 times in the spring, and, yeah. and oh, you need to spray weed killer on this date and this date and this date. Yeah. But that that's different everywhere you go. Yes. And then there isn't. I guess what I was trying to say, and this is what I was trying to say yeah. last episode too. There isn't a set plan that where if you do these five things or 10 things no matter where you are you're going to have great results yeah it depends on your local soils it depends on your local climate there's so many factors that weigh in that are going to change that plan but we're always looking for that quick okay this is what i have to do type thing and not have to do with the extra extra thinking if, but um if you think about it this way i was thinking about one of our native plants i was thinking about tulip poplar mm-hmm. and tulip poplar is native from intercoastal plain through Appalachian, so mm-hmm. through Piedmont Appalachian. Each of those are different soil uh, types, and each one is a different temperate climate of their own. Mm-hmm. And in turn, they each have their own watering requirements because each condition yep. is separate. So you can't necessarily – and that's why when you look at wetland indicator status, it gives it throughout it's, different yeah, parts. Different it different changes regions. because of different soil types mm-hmm. and things like that. So you can't – there's no one fix even for one plant across the board, mm-hmm. unless of course it's like an emergence and it's always in, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's always yeah, in yeah. six inches of water or mm-hmm. something like that. But there's a lot of things that that change and are more specific as you you move around the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, I think we should kick off uh, the the segments in today's episode, and we always start off with uh, with our favorite plants of the week. Let's get into that's hot. So I've I've gotten lazy. I typically change my my background. I haven't done it. We've been too busy. But do you, would you like to go first, or do you want me to go first? I'll let you go first. All right. So I, I talked about this on the last buzz. I was hoping that the last time I could have used this plant, but it wasn't quite up. But um, I'm going with Canada Mayflower, which is an ephemeral, um, and I have it naturally occurring in my yard. It's Myanthemum uh, canadensis. Canadensis? Canadensis. I don't know if I typed it wrong or or right. Oh, I don't know but either. <laughs> it, it's it's a spring of ephemeral and it's emerging now. It, it won't flower until May, hence uh, May flower. Uh, I think it's actually more like late May. Um, and it has small white flowers in the spring. Uh, why I like it is just because I have it naturally occurring in my yard, uh, in like around the edges of the woods where it gets enough sunlight. There's enough uh, opening in the canopy for it to get it to to come through, but. Um, it's actually listed as endangered in New Jersey, which I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty common in like I have it, my neighbor has it, and yeah. what's the, two neighbors, and that's that's it. But um, the chipmunks 
tend to like it. I do have plenty of chipmunks, <laughs> and uh, it does get a, a red berry. The chipmunks like mm -hmm. the red berry. So. so, and I actually, when you said that it was in danger, I was kind of surprised to hear that. Yeah. Um, because I've seen it in a lot of places, and I ended up looking it up, and it was a specific variety. There's oh, a, okay. A ver Overall, it's not in danger, but there is. Uh, this is one of the really interesting things I've found is you have different forms of plants, and this is where a lot of the cultivars come yeah. from. Because uh, I had another one uh, last year. I think I was even asking you about it, where I found, and I'm, I wish I'd looked this part up earlier. I found a milkweed. It was clearly a milkweed oh, yeah. in a really wet, sunny area. Um, and I'm, it looked like swamp milkweed, but it also looked like common milkweed it had it with fuzzy leaves and yeah. uh, the leaves were a little bit wider so it almost looked like a cross between the two and uh i was having a lot of trouble figuring out what it was so i sent it to two botanists that i, I yeah. really trusted and they like quickly came back and said i don't even know if i sent the picture i think i just told them yeah. that. i'm like oh yeah it's this variety of of asclepius incarnata yeah. um and uh and then there was actually another so you had asclepius incarnata variety I think it started with a P, and then it was like Forma. There was a white one too. Yeah. And it was Forma, something else. So it was actually, I found a variety of Asclepius incarnata, and then a form of that variety, yeah. all in one spot. It was kind of that's pretty awesome. And we see it here on the nursery. Yeah. We see Lobelia cardinalis and mm -hmm. Lobelia syphilitica, the blue Lobelia and cardinal flower, kind of mixing, and, yep. and Penstemon uh, hirsutus. We've had some variations coming yeah, up in yeah. there where you get natural crosses. So mm -hmm. it's it's pretty common, but not as common as like some of them. It, it's common that it happens, but not common that you see them. Yes, like very exactly, often those yeah. those strains are yeah. rare. And that's I I see thousands, if not like tens of thousands of Asclepius incarnata every single year. Yeah, and um, just because we're growing them at a nursery. Yeah, and I'd never seen one come up that looked like that, and it just threw me for a loop. I just I wasn't familiar with it, so I didn't know what yeah. it was. But uh, but that's not my my plant this week. My plant is actually the flowering dogwood, nice. uh, Cornus Florida. Um, it really has beautiful flowers. Which the flower, if you want to really get technical, the flower is just the center part. It's the the white petals yeah. per se are actually bracts, which is similar to leaves. Um, so the flower is really just the middle. Of it, but for the sake of the episode, yeah. we're going to call the whole thing the flower. Yes. But it's really really beautiful. It has these big um white flowers with yellow centers uh there's lots of cultiv cultivated varieties now um, oh, because it's such a yeah. popular plant uh but i really like the irregular look of that understory species i, I do too and it, you know it's it's funny it's not one that i recognize like i know the leaf i know the bark mm -hmm. but i don't see it often like and I just realized I have some flowering in my woods right yeah, now that I yeah. probably never picked out. It was there before, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I, and that's, until it flowered uh, last year we, on our, our new farm, um, I saw a, a handful of them. And this year I've seen them all over, and uh, just like in the in the understory of that farm. And one of the things when I was reading about it that made a lot of sense, I was like, well, how come that one doesn't have very many flowers at all? This one has tons of flowers. That all depends on sunlight. Yeah. So Cornus Florida can take and, and, and thrives in the understory where it's getting dappled sunlight at best. But if you get it into a sunny area, like on a hedgerow, yeah. on the edge of the woods, oh, it gets covered in flowers. Yeah. And that's I, I was actually confused when you look up the 
just yeah. Google Cornice, Florida, the first picture that comes up is this like stately tree that is covered in white flowers. And I'm like, that's not what ours no, look like. But it in does the make it. Does, you know, if you if you give it the space, it yeah. makes a beautiful tree. Like oh, right yeah. now, you can see a lot on front yards, and they may be varieties. There's mm-hmm. like Cloud Nine and yeah. all these these other ones. Yeah. Uh, but um, it makes a great great small understory tree yeah uh yeah. which which is beautiful but i think right on that woods edge i agree with you mm-hmm. like you see it flowering like really good yeah. uh that's that's kind of like yeah. my favorite place to see uh, it. it'll get about 30 feet tall um has a uh, oh, what was i gonna say Could get like 12 inches in diameter that would be a really big one would be a 12 inch in diameter tree uh has fruit red fruit in the the late summer fall yeah. which are really good for birds um, also edible to humans, but they don't taste very good. So I don't want to hear a call in from Saul <laughs> saying that. Oh, I, I ate the. <laughs> I don't know that they're they're necessarily long lived trees. I, I want to say like so twenty either. to thirty years uh, max out of those, mm-hmm. and they are susceptible to anthracnose yeah. and, and other things. Yeah. Um, then but... the the last thing I had on there was um, their host plants for a number of different moths, uh, including some cecropia moths. And, uh, and they're also the state tree of Missouri and Virginia wow. and the state flower of Virginia and North Carolina. I did not know that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And very, it's very one cool. of my favorite trees this time of year just because it's blooming and it looks so different than everything else that's, oh, in the, totally. that's starting to bloom right now. That's a great choice. Wonderful yeah. choice. All right. So, yeah. So with that, let's move on to uh, this week's botany-based current events. Uh, of course, we got to make it a competition as always. Um, so let's move along to this or that. So the I you know I I didn't follow up just to double check, but the winner is I think it's me. I think it was twelve to five. Yeah, it was last time I looked. I got a little too gloaty last week. I think the <laughs> the voters took it out on me. But well, this is <laughs> this is what I, I I I thought was hysterical. So one of our listeners who we communicate with quite regularly, uh, Deborah Rosenthal, mm-hmm. whose whose husband R J Comer contributed a lot of the theme yeah, music for yeah. the buzz and also for rooted discussions. Mm-hmm. So she sent me an article and I've had listeners send articles before saying, Hey, maybe for a buzz, this or that, this may interest you. So she sent me an article that just happened to be on lawns. And yeah. I noticed she sent it to me after she voted for you. And she's <laughs> like, maybe this will help you, you know, get back on track and win one. But then I found out from you later yeah, she had also sent me an article, a different article that was uh, also on, I, I wouldn't say lawns, but yards and, and some yeah. HOA uh, requirements. So so I like that she was trying to, like, steer, yeah. you know, and she did not know that we were planning this episode on lawns. Mm-hmm. We were just naturally going there. After the soil one, we decided, yeah. hey, we should really do one mm-hmm. on lawns. But she was kind of, like, goading us in into a competition oh, against yeah. each other with lawns and start a whole lawn thing, which I think was, we're on to you, Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> we, we are, we are on to you. And we definitely appreciate the, the submission. So if you do come across an article that you want to hear us talk about, oh, please, we can't yeah. guarantee that we are going to talk about it, but send it to us. Cause, uh, it saves us a little bit of time looking for stuff at you the know, very least. No, and I, I really appreciate it. Cause I know, uh, Alyssa, uh, Joy Lewis has mm-hmm. given me articles. Uh, one of our employees, Noel, gave me the one about the solar panels in California along waterways. So it's I, I really appreciate it. You know, we're always on the lookout ourselves, but sometimes uh, we don't see everything and, and we get something that's really good. Yeah. So 
I'm, I think I'm actually going to go first. I am using Deborah's article. I know you you are not. I'm not. No. You are not, but I'm, I'm going to use Deborah's article. So uh, it's called Grow or Mow, A Lawn War Springs Up in England. And I thought this was really interesting because when I think of England, I actually have a sister that lives in England. And when I think of England, I think of their gardens and, and like stately mm-hmm. lawns. So um, – and it was written by Max Colchester of the Wall Street Journal. You actually yours is from the Wall Street Journal, too, right? I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, and, and I'm kind of, I picked out some. It's better. I'm. It was much better written than I could paraphrase. So I actually plucked out some paragraphs from mm-hmm. the from the the article, but. Uh, last month, Monty Don, a broadcaster on a popular BBC gardening Which show. That, if that's not a British name. Monty that's... Don. That's about as yeah. British. <laughs> he broke ranks with long, long-standing English convention in an interview with Radio Times magazine calling for British men to halt their obsession with cl- closely cropped lawns, warning that it burns a lot of fossil fuel, makes a filthy noise, and it's about the most injurious thing that you can do to wildlife. And and we that I'm very mm-hmm. I, I don't want to yeah. speak for you, but I, I feel oh yeah the, the yeah. same with that. So amid concerns about the environment, some of the finest lawns in Britain are flirting with rewilding uh, a large part of a once revered black lawn at University of Cambridge's King College was turned into a meadow last year. Several squads of the University of Oxford have gone the same way, and a hashtag no mo may campaign is gaining traction online. So well maintained lawns are under assault. Uh, says Mr. Hedges Gower, uh, chairman of the recently created Lawn Association. Lawns uh, have a big part to play in our world, he says. The ill education from celebrity gardeners is unbearable. Lawns are a tradition in England, and even Prince Ro- uh, Charles has championed meadows. Um, and Prince Charles mm-hmm. is a, a huge ab- advocate, and we learned that from Dr. Enrique Sala, mm-hmm. just with how much yeah. work he has done. And it's, you know, the Lawn Association is going through and saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't mow low. You should mow higher and, and mm-hmm. talking about some of the positives that lawn has. But I think in my opinion, when you're stating these positives that lawn has, there's some big omissions. Yeah. Not yeah. – you know, and it's not – one positive you never hear from lawns is how good it is for pollinators in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Now, if you let lawns get taller, yes, maybe the pollinators can actually mm-hmm. uh, have a little more function in there. But um, a finely cropped lawn really – you know, it's not helping with uh, – I shouldn't say it doesn't help with insects, but maybe not the right type of insects. Mm-hmm. Um so and and obviously it, to maintain it, if you're you're putting down the fertilizer uh, and that's going into the soil and then watering um, and the runoff that type of thing and and I I agree that there are some positives and we're going to go into this. I know this is the topic, so <laughs> yeah. I should probably stop. But I just thought it was interesting that it's not just happening here. And it's, oh yeah, it's, no, it's, that it's a big enough war in England that the Wall Street Journal is, yeah. is picking it. And up. I didn't realize that they had a no mo may too. Oh, because yeah. It, by the time everyone's listening to this, it's going to be uh, the at least the day before No Mo May. If it isn't, no yeah, May. yeah, and um, I'll get into that later too. I've I have my I keep waffling back and forth about No Mo May, but no, that's a really cool article, and yeah. um, well, my, it's nice to know that it's happening elsewhere. Like we kind of feel like this is just happening here. It's 
But uh, but you, I know the same things happening. Well, we just yeah. learned learned the same things happening in in the UK. I've heard of similar things happening in like New Zealand and Australia. So it is uh becoming a worldwide trend yeah. that we're we're leaning towards. I, I do have some issues with no more May. Also, yeah, yeah, I'll go yeah. into that when we hit it. I'll I'll go into it. But so, that's 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 basically mine. Yeah, I'll let you go. My article is also from the Wall Street Journal, and um. That's funny. Last time we were both about Philly, and now we're yeah. both <laughs> Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal. But uh, and uh, mine is not so much about native plants, although they do talk about one native plant in the article. Uh, but it was uh, titled "The New Status Symbol for High Net Worth Homeowners: Trophy Trees," which I just wow. still thought, "Oh man, this is gonna be like good." Yeah. And um, it was written by Catherine Clark, uh, and basically summarized it was that. Rich people, like well, all people, are getting more and more impatient. They don't want to buy, but we don't want to buy little trees and then have to wait for them to grow up. Yeah. Um, but big trees are expensive. Rich people are just able to afford those big trees. Big not, trees. Not only that, it's, when you when you're moving big trees, that is a huge transplant shock, and that's a lot of care oh, yeah. to get established. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, and uh, we actually just had a, a tour of a big tree nursery last week for another organization I'm part of. And um, I was I knew big trees were expensive. I didn't realize they were that expensive, and I, I can't remember the species. But he was saying they basically cost like a thousand dollars an inch. So if you wanted a a big tree, so a fourteen inch diameter tree is what he referenced, yeah. um, you're going to be paying fourteen thousand dollars. And now that would be an inexpensive tree as compared to the trees in this article. Um, so basically, you had these like super elite wealthy people who. Uh, the ones that you didn't really even hear of, the ones that were like the the owners of big tech companies and media conglomerates, not the the people like the Kardashians you're seeing on yeah. TV, the people who own the networks that played those shows. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> they were talking about, um, and basically they would uh, they were going around and finding these big trees, often on private property. It was say, oh, that person has a big tree in their lawn. That would be perfect for my client. And uh, the landscaper would then go approach that homeowner and say, hey, I'd like to buy your tree. And and they would negotiate a price. Um, and that was actually somewhat difficult, they were saying, because say we were in southern Florida and you're right on a canal and it was a big tree that uh, they could kind of bring a barge in the canal with a big crane on it dig it out and then pick it up, put it on the barge yeah. and float it away. Well, that was pretty easy and they could pay a lot more money for the tree for that. Say it was in someone's backyard and you had power lines in the way and it was hard to get to. Well, that kind of cut out of the the tree owner's price that they could charge yeah. because it cost so much more to get the tree out of there. Um, but they were talking like, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of these trees wow. and like 90 foot tall trees that they were they were taking out of some places and um and moving to others and so one of the other things i learned at this tour was uh with some of these trees especially if you're driving them over the road well you get a low profile trailer some of this low to the ground but uh if uh when you're driving down the highway or any road you'll often see when you go under a bridge or an overpass there's a sign on the side that'll have a height listed and it'll say something like max height 12 foot 6, max yeah. height 13 1. Well, some of these trees, when you dig out the root ball, like a 14-inch tree, you'd need a 140-inch root ball. But to fit under most bridges, it could only be like 136 inches. Yeah. So you would have to dig that tree so that it fit underneath uh, the bridges, which sometimes meant digging it a little bit, root pruning it so yeah. that root ball could be a little smaller. Well, 
now you're talking about a 90 foot tree that's longer than the trailer is already. How would they do that? So one of the things they came up with was, um, well, one, you could move it on a barge or a crane if you had access to, to not moving it over the road. And for, for listeners that don't know the average, the average length of the root system is twice the canopy. Mm -hmm. So if you have a a 90 foot tree that has a canopy, that's, let's just say 30 foot wide, the roots are stretching 60, 60 feet. Yeah. So in circumference and then, you know, if it had a good root system when it was mm-hmm. put in. So that's a lot. Oh, yeah. Like when you're paring that down, it's still not that big of a root ball. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so this is basically what they ended up doing on a lot of these trees that were uh, super huge, either tall or diameter, was they would cut them into four pieces. Which when I first read that, I'm yeah. like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. How yeah. do they do that? But basically what they were doing is making long vertical cuts. They had like these six-foot chainsaw blades. Yeah. And would cut vertically the whole length of the tree. Um, and effectively, what they did was made it, turned it into four trees. So then they could move each of those individual pieces uh, a lot easier. And then when they got to the site, they would re put this tree back together. And um, they said the tree, they had like a he- very, very high success rate. The wow. trees responded great. Um, obviously there was, there could be issues and they'd have insurance policies of like $25,000 on these, all these trees just in case they died. Cause then they'd have to refund the customer and, and, um, and all that. But they were cutting these trees into four pieces vertically. Um, and then they'd get to the site and then kind of like bolt and ratchet strap them back together until they, the, they would heal over. Wow. But he said, even then you basically had four trees that were growing right next to each other that were quartered. Yeah. Um, the tree never was one single organism again. It didn't heal that way, but the bark would heal over the outside, so it looked like it was one single tree. Wow. And uh, that raised a lot of concern because people were then saying, well, you're, you're torturing these trees in a way. Like, you don't have to do this. But his defense was a lot of these trees are getting cut down. They're big. They're tall. They're next to businesses. They're next to homes. The people who own them don't necessarily want them there. And... They think they're a risk to falling. And this, this yeah. fellow was in Southern California or Southern Florida, so they had a lot of hurricanes. And people were like worried, "Oh, this is going to blow over in the next hurricane." Yeah. So he was like, "Sometimes they wanted to cut them down, but couldn't afford to cut them down." Well, this is a way to give it to someone who would still keep the tree. The yeah. tree would stay alive. It's not getting cut down. They got some money for it. It benefited all parties in most cases. Yeah. Awesome. So, but they, yeah, they also had like a. They brought in. This is a. Uh, home in Southern California where they brought in a 150 year old olive tree from Tuscany and wow. just basically took a crane and like lo- they built like a glass and co's courtyard mm-hmm. in the middle of this house and then lowered it down in the house is insane well, some it, of the stuff they're doing but I I understand the reasoning because if you think mm-hmm. about it say you're you're building a, a 15 million dollar mansion you're really clearing a ton of area yeah so you can get the material in there to build it. Then you can't put a two-inch caliber tree mm-hmm. or a 10-foot tall tree in front of a $15 million mansion. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work. Like yeah. you need something instant perspective. Exactly. And that's the only way you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I do appreciate businesses like Merck in, in New Jersey when they built their headquarters. Um, they didn't just cut everything down. They harvested everything. Yeah. They created a nursery. And mm-hmm. then after the facility was built, they went back through – and put the trees back mm-hmm. like they tried to recreate a little bit of that that natural area around it which which is another great uh 
thing that you could do. They didn't just cut down and look elsewhere. It was just like, we have all these great trees here. Let's save them and use them, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. But I have seen – I had a customer in New York who built spec houses in Greenwich, Connecticut and started his own garden center and mm-hmm. would send people all over the country just to find plant yeah. – and they would yeah. literally buy boxwood hedges that were five foot tall and piece them back – like take them apart and piece them back together in the garden center. Yeah. That oh, yeah. someone could come in and buy a whole hedge, or if he wanted mm-hmm. it for the house, it's you know back in the eighties, people would just steal it. You know, yeah. you put. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember. Oh, I'm sure that probably. I, I remember too. trees with you know uh, cut leaf red maples where I worked at the time. We had them that were ten and twenty thousand dollars a piece, like, and they'd get planted at a bank and then disappeared a week later. Mm-hmm. You know, someone just saw it and was like, "I want that," and they would dig it back out because yep. they knew yep. it was pretty fresh. So it's. You would start seeing trees with chains. It wasn't like an expensive tree. You would see with like a chain around it, yeah. so that someone couldn't, yeah, couldn't take it. No, so. it's it was a really interesting article. And the one last tidbit from there was it's. Um, they said this is probably one of the only things. Well, I'm actually paraphrasing this. Probably one of the only things that Michael Jordan ever lost was a bidding <laughs> war for this giant oak tree <laughs> that he wanted in his house, and he he lost out. Someone else bid more money, and it was in like the hundreds of thousands of dollars for this tree. Um, I think he probably yeah. could have kept bidding. Yeah, you'd think so. I think but, he, uh, at some point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling he could have won it if he wanted to. He yeah. just got to a point where it's like, I'm sure I can find another So, yeah, if anyone's <laughs> looking to, to make a little extra side cash, just raise some big, beautiful trees and have them in your yard, and <laughs> maybe someone will come along and buy them. <laughs> but, so I think that, that – do you have anything else? No, about? that was it. All right. And of course, the choice is yours. Yeah, so make sure you go to the Facebook page and vote for your favorite article. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the article. It could just be our presentation. Yes. Um, or just whoever you like more. So, but, but just just vote because... There can be only one. Yes. So uh, this week we're adding a new segment. Am I going to have to come a up with a, segment, a, theme, a theme for this? Oh, I, I don't... Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but, All right. I'll have to look at but, it. But, um, and it's... We're only doing this because we're we've had so many of these, but, yeah, uh, or so much good interaction. So we wanted to do some listener shoutouts, yeah. And uh, so this this week and every week going forward, we're gonna pick two people that we've really liked what they're doing in the the Facebook group or something they emailed us or just a random interaction we have, and we're gonna let you know that, how much we appreciate it on our uh, on our podcast here. Yeah, so. so. I'll go first, friend. Sure, go ahead. And um, mine was Skip Burns because after a solo episode, and I forgot to respond to him on his comment on Facebook, he said that we were killing it every week, and that's what we want to hear because we think we're doing a good job, but uh, it's nice to hear that we are doing a good job. If if you don't hear it, you don't know. I mean, we obviously see our listens increase, and that's a good thing, but we don't know. Unless you tell us, we don't know what you like, what Mm -hmm. you don't like. We hear what what you don't like. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That that we get, but... and well, Skip was back on our listener episode, which I think yeah. was episode twenty. It I was, think uh, it was so. a little was while our, ago, yeah. so I even respect it even more coming from him because I know he knows his plants and and he's doing a lot of seeding and, and, and research on his own. And, so and he's been a longtime listener, yep. Also, mm-hmm. so the fact that that you started listening at the beginning and you're continuing to listen now that we're in the the fifties of the episodes, yeah. I appreciate that, and I I know. I wanted to – I mentioned we would share how we ran into Jennifer. So Tom mentioned on the Soil podcast yeah, that yeah. as soon as we knew we had Ray, a lot of people didn't want to do it just because they were a little intimidated. Mm-hmm. So we had Ray, and it wasn't – this was a Friday. 
afternoon and it yeah. wasn't still locked down we had stephanie which we just confirmed and that's mm-hmm. all that we had so i'd gotten an email from nutrition for longevity with jennifer copied and they had just become a customer and they were coming in monday to pick up plant material and i kept looking at her name going i know this name like i don't know where i know this name from but i know this name mm-hmm. and i did a microsoft outlook search and she had the same publicist that Dr. Enrique Sala did, and they actually had reached out to us about Jennifer mm-hmm. in the fall, and we just didn't have a, a a place to kind of work her in. Like we weren't there yet yeah. with mm-hmm. with the soils, and I saw it, and it was just like, wow, this is almost like perfect timing. She would be fantastic yeah. for this podcast. So we just happened to reach out to her Friday, and she got back to us Friday afternoon. So. We record it Monday morning at nine o'clock, and, and we didn't have it finalized until five o'clock Friday yeah. afternoon. Oh yeah, we were like hoping and praying because it was. I know Fran went home for the day, and it yeah. just happened that uh, Ray had called me back. We talked earlier the I think the prior week, or maybe it was even that week, saying, "Oh yeah, we can do next week." But then I hadn't. I texted him a couple of times. And I didn't get any confirmation, so I was getting yeah. worried. And then he called, and I called Fran and said, "Hey, okay, Ray's in, so we got two. And then it was like 20 minutes later, Jennifer called, and I happened to still be in the office, and and um, I had to explain the whole thing, and uh, yeah. it worked out, and we were really happy to have her. We're, so. She she had to have her husband pick up so yeah. that she could, <laughs> yeah. you know. But it worked out, and she was a fantastic guest, and they were all great guests, mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't be happier yeah. with how last minute it was, how well it it worked out yep, together. Yep. So but that's not your listener shout out. No, actually, actually my listener shout out, I don't know the person's name and I didn't actually have the interaction myself, <laughs> yeah. but uh, one of our coworkers was at a local farm brewery. Uh, who's also a friend of ours by uh, Brett at screaming Hill, Brett Bullock at screaming Hill uh, brewery at Bullock farms. Mm-hmm. So Glenn uh, was there with uh, a friend and enjoying some beers and, he had his Pinelands Nursery jacket on, and um, a woman came up to him and started asking him, saying that she was a fan of the podcast and asking if he was one of us, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, I I, and I, I don't I, even know if Glenn knew we were doing this. No. Yeah, <laughs> so he, I don't know if Glenn knew. Yeah, he, he didn't have a whole lot of information to, to add, but he it was impressive that someone saw the Pinelands Nursery, thought about the podcast, mm-hmm. and was willing to come up and introduce himself. So – I, I still have not been noticed in public as of yet. Like I haven't been mm-hmm. – no one's like, hey, are you Fran? I want that. Yeah. And Glenn got <laughs> yeah. it. Glenn yeah. got it instead of us. But we uh, we appreciate you listening and, and, and coming up to even talk to us um, even though it, it turned out to not be one of us. But if, if you're listening and we're mentioning, call in or shoot us a note just to say hello. Uh, we'd mm-hmm. love to say hello to you. Yeah, perfect. So, All right, time to, to answer some questions. All right. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So we only got one question this week, and it's not even really on topic. <laughs> <laughs> so you can guess who it's from. I, But it's, it's worth playing just so we can point out um, some of the problems with that. <laughs> with the message okay so yeah, we, let's do it, it. <laughs> all right hi fellas hi uh, it's your pal Saul I just Saul Rosenberg I just wanted to add a comment if I might and an, an inoculation if you would 
uh, you've been talking again uh, very persuasively. Uh, Thomas, uh, the English muffin, I, I must give you uh, a lot of credit for, for props, uh, as the children say, uh, and, and also you, Pam, uh, you, you've done a more than adequate job, which for you, I know, is, is quite an effort, and, and it is to be commended. Now, we were talking uh, on, on the radio, I just heard, about the calorie pair. And here's my suggestion. Since so many of us today are more health conscious and perhaps trying to shed some pounds that, that your listeners on the radio might have heard uh, that, that they might have added on during the COVID, perhaps a low-calorie tree, right? Instead of the calorie pear, a lower-calorie tree like the swamp maple or the Asa rubrum. I wish you boys would use more of the botanical knowledge that you have stored up there, kind of the way a squirrel takes nuts and puts them away for the winter. Uh, Pam, I know you know what I'm talking about here, that you have a vast knowledge and a lower calorie tree might be the best way to get people more uh, enthusiastic about uh, making a substitution. Okay, guys, a wonderful show as always. I love the music that, who's that fella, JJ? He's done a marvelous job, and uh, I really do like it. And, uh, I, you know, I'm Saul. I'm gardening here in the Garden State. I'm quite an extensive, extensive property. And um, I, I invite you, Pam, uh, to come back. It was great having you out here, I guess, about five years ago. And uh, bring the English muffin man with you. <laughs> okay, fellas, bye now. <laughs> I wonder how Saul knows that a red maple would be less calories. Yeah, like it's a low-fat uh... tree. I wonder. <laughs> I'm curious what research he's done. I will say for the record, I've never been to Saul's property. I'd love to know where Saul lives. It's somewhere in New Jersey, and he yeah. says he has a carriage house. So yeah. I would, I would love to see this, this facility. But, but by calorie pair, it's not. We're not talking about its nutritional content. It's actually the. <laughs> The, the species of pear, it's C-A-L-L-E-R-Y. It's the name of the pear. So it's so at the very least, we've cleared up some confusion that yes, might have been, <laughs> yes. been happening there. You know, and if you haven't seen it, there was a, a video that I posted in our Facebook group and also on our YouTube page about just how invasive calorie pears have been. You know, it was in bloom, so it was mm -hmm. they were easy to point out. We were trying to point it out while it was still pertinent. Yep. Um, but I just totally lost my train of thought. Oh, I don't know that. where you're going either. I, I don't but, know where uh, I was. I, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, that where. was. It's. It's good to highlight a lot of these invasives because, and I we actually had, when we talked about it last year about this time, there's uh, someone wrote in and said, "Oh yeah, when I learned that's what those are, driving down the highway and you just see, calorie pear and forsythia and all this invasive stuff in bloom, on the side of the road." Uh, it really makes you sad. <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually filmed a few videos a day. It actually made mm -hmm. me late for where I was going. I was meeting my fiance, and I, I ended up a half an hour late because I was filming videos. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to stop on uh, 295, which is a major throughway in New Jersey. And there was a point in the riparian buffer along the highway where it was nothing but invasive. Mm -hmm. You could see it was highway on one side, agricultural field on the other side, and the riparian buffer. It was all uh, forsythia and uh calorie pear and i'm trying to remember what else it was but it was all it was all invasive it was multi-floor rows it was like mm -hmm. three or four invasives that filled the whole area and it was kind of sad to see that this whole riparian buffer 
was all invasives and no natives at all. And I wanted to stop and, and do a video there, but I felt it probably wasn't my safest yeah. place to, to pull over and, and, yeah. and do a video. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's always a good time to, to educate people about invasives. And one of the things I actually just noticed, um, and I was fighting the good fight on the interwebs last night, on the old Facebook, and um, someone actually said, oh, I bought these uh, Japanese barberry, which is illegal for sale now in Delaware and yeah. in New York and yeah. Connecticut, or not, uh, not Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. There's quite a few states that have banned the sale or are phasing out the sale of Japanese barberry, which is great. Um, and someone had bought some in New Jersey because you're still allowed to. And uh, then they read online that it was invasive. And uh, it was this was a native plant group. This was a gardening group that I was in and then people were commenting some people saying invasive and some people saying it wasn't invasive um, and it became clear that people f were thinking that the term invasive meant that it spread in their garden yeah. not and one person said oh it's oh it's not invasive the birds love the berries all this and that and uh, I don't know I felt bad commenting well it's invasive because the birds eat the berries and then move them elsewhere not because yeah. it sends up more shoots in your garden that are you don't want there well, um, you were just showing me video of of your property where you yeah. were hunting, oh, yeah. and and then there were barberry naturally occurring there. Yeah, know? exactly. And, yeah, I took a video just yesterday. Um, my dad and I went out turkey hunting. This is one of my favorite times of year to be out in the woods, just because and turkey hunting is is special in its own way. Um, because well, turkeys just make an awesome noise. They're such a unique bird, but uh, you're going out there an hour before dawn and uh, sometimes more and you're just kind of sitting there as quiet as you can be and you just watch the woods wake up and around so sun sunrise is at 604 yeah. um as far along as it was on on monday but uh so 604 well starts getting brighter around like 5 30 and right as it starts getting the sun is just barely uh like visible not only you can't even see the sun it's just the light from the sun is just barely visible well, you start hearing some birds and you start hearing some more birds and then then you start hearing the turkeys gobble and it's just like a magical time to be yeah. out there because you're just being perfectly quiet but everything else is so amazingly loud in a way um, but you also get to see some really cool species that some of the first things are starting to flower and leaf out and um, in the video I, I was highlighting the Cornish Florida because we have yeah. a whole bunch in that that woods there and then uh also found a whole bunch of black haw viburnum awesome um, which is viburnum prunifolium and um and actually even when i, w I went back out i re-recorded the video because yeah. i recorded it in the wrong way <laughs> and um when i went back out i found a whole bunch of viburnum dentatum that were only maybe six inches tall oh awesome and uh that kind of sucked in a way because I'm like, oh, you're going to get eaten. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, I was surprised <laughs> that fact, they hadn't been Some eaten. of them had been browsed a little bit. But, um, yeah, I just happened to be walking. I'm like, ah, that looks like a viburnum dentatum leaf. And I looked down and started crawling around. I'm like, I think that is a viburnum dentatum. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. And they're just not going to make it because that woods, and I also say this in the video, which is going to go up on our YouTube channel and, and Facebook shortly. Um, uh, it actually will probably be out by the time you listen to this. But you can look and you can see how there's some stuff that's barely germinating on the ground. And then there's nothing up until you get to about six feet. Yeah. Uh, other than some green briar, some, some, uh, well, and then you have some invasives. You have your multiflora rose and you have a bunch of Japanese barberry, which I also show in the video. Yeah. And, um, 
and it's amazing once you start to really key in on the stuff it's amazing the places you find it you know it's, it's i i wanted to mention i had forgot about it before this past weekend my fiance and i agatha and i uh had to run to home depot so i wanted to take a walk through the garden center mm -hmm. just to take a look just to see what yeah. they had in stock and they had barberry they were yep. fully stocked in 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 japanese barberry so it's yeah. really sad to see it yeah and i i understand it is a deer resistant plant so i understand the appeal to it but um one of the things i and i have mixed feelings about it but i think it's a good step is their university of connecticut actually came out with a seedless version of japanese barberry uh called crimson cutie it's morphed off of the i think well it's supposed to resemble the crimson pygmy which is another it, which Japanese is a dwarf barbary. red it's a, a dwarf, it's dwarf red, red. Bap, japanese barberry so this is a dwarf red japanese but, barberry but it doesn't have seeds and, but he, so. and and here's my issue with that there was very little ecosystem benefit with barberry other yeah. than some birds have adapted mm -hmm. to eat the seeds yep. so now there's no so you took all this effort to create something that has no ecosystem benefit just because people mm -hmm. are trained to buy it yep you know and that's what's sad it's 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 just another band-aid yeah that deer won't eat it but you're creating all these other issues mm -hmm. where and that that was my feeling on yeah. it is okay so well, now it's not bad yeah <laughs> but it's not necessarily good it just doesn't have the invasive qualities yeah but it's not benefiting the whole system but you know what so. throughout the years i've heard all these seedless varieties of this which is better and they all kind of revert Mm -hmm. slowly and become an issue like none of them have ever really worked out so yeah. it's you know i i applaud delaware for really uh, taking the step and banning these invasives mm -hmm. um and like i was saying like i i done a video of the english ivy in yeah. in agatha's yeah. yard and for all the natives in her yard there's an equal amount of invasives none of which were planted there it was and i accidentally said native instead of invasive when i was talking to rosa sharon but she has probably 20 rosa sharon bushes in her yard and periwinkle and english ivy and wisteria mm -hmm. and all these things that were banned yeah that that are encroaching on all the wonderful native mm -hmm. plants that are naturally occurring or that we planted so it's you know I, it's just there's so many arguments where if people are just they they take the easy sale yes. and i find this yeah. a lot in our industry they they want to keep growing it because it's easy to grow and they can sell it mm -hmm. Um, but it's it, they could easily sell something else if they chose yeah. to sell yep. something else. Yeah. They just take the easy way. Mm -hmm. So, and that's my issue with it. Yeah, it's uh so the the big point of that whole diatribe we just went yeah. on is, is is we need to do a lot of education, and it's got to be good education. Just saying, hey, that's a bad plant. You you're stupid for planting it, isn't gonna work. No. Um, and I I hadn't responded to that comment how it's not invasive yet but i'm going to and say hey well here's why it is invasive you could even show your video and of it exactly up, you know and, and that's part of the reason why we're doing these videos for mm -hmm. someone that that doesn't know you can uh share one of these videos on one of these invasive items and just say this is why it's invasive yeah you know it's a, exactly. it's a little bit easier when you see it sometimes if you're not tuned into it you can walk through i've walked through crystal lake so many times didn't notice the mm -hmm. burning bush uh yeah. at first you know your eyes just aren't looking for it so yeah. and it's like i kind of said before it's i've walked through that woods a ton of times it's at the back of our property i walk through it all the time and i never i only noticed like two corners florida and then just it just so happened on monday and then tuesday i saw i saw like 40 of them and i'm like oh, where did all these come from because and they're all older trees they weren't 
yeah. new seedlings, but um, I just hadn't noticed before. And then same thing, my my dad and I were walking around a little morning. He's like, oh, there's Japanese barberry right here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I hadn't noticed it walking around. And then I've only noticed it in one other part of that the, the woods there uh, that was on the far other end. But then even when I was taking the video, which I just happened to, it happened to be sitting between the Blackhaw and the Cornish, Florida. And I looked down, oh, it's right here. And then you look around, there's more yeah. and more and more. Yeah. But you talked about your, your fiance Agatha's lawn. So yes. why don't we, or yard, why don't we transition to yards and yeah. lawns? Our, our main topic. So um, where, where, where do you think would be a good place to start? Uh, well, you had a pretty interesting story from your one of your past career moves, so why don't we uh, why don't we start there? Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm not going to say the name of of the company, but I I once worked for a a lawn company, uh, a nationally known lawn company, uh, back in the mid '90s for about nine months. I had taken a job as a sales rep, and as a sales rep, you had to do a couple weeks as a technician, mm-hmm. just so that you you knew the job, and I. I had worked on uh, primarily selling treatment plans for for shrubs and trees. So for for uh, fungicides or insecticides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would go to people's property and evaluate what I saw, and and we would sell plans. And it, I I didn't have a good feeling about it even about then. And I think it was more wild you know accept it what you did find was a lot of the wrong plants planted in the wrong places mm-hmm. and and they were they were weakened and attacked by you know by insects or disease and then being being sprayed yeah. but yeah. what was interesting to me was just the concept of the business at that point and i i this this place has branches all over so i'm sure it varies but my branch when i came in i had the salesman training and they they showed you this video about how your customers aren't customers they're people and you need to do this and all these things so at at the end of the video it was shut off and they said that's bull people are dollar signs and that's how you're going to treat this people are money and you're going to bleed them for everything they have <laughs> and I, i'm not even paraphrasing yeah. the only thing i did was take out the obscenity you know and it was like a it was like a glengarry glen ross type mm-hmm setting and it, it was really like that like mm-hmm. it was it was to them it was all about <laughs> proving to the stockholders how many new acquisitions that you had so they would let people cancel just to sell it to them cheaper so that you could say i picked up x many new customers this mm-hmm. week and but the people that were canceling were like you killed my dog you killed this you killed that it was it was amazing, and it hmm. was a long list of, of people that had canceled with, with these complaints, and it was just all spraying chemicals. Now, it was at a time where I think it was less conscious, but even at the national convention that year, the owners, the theme was men in green mm-hmm. instead of men in black, yeah. and they had taken – they had cemented their entire properties and then covered it with sod and then was spraying it and watering it to keep it green saying that you could have a green lawn no matter how bad your soil is Mm -hmm. like and it's so wrong on so many (laughs) levels (laughs) but and this was back in in the mid 90s okay yes this this was the mid 90s things may have changed since then yes you know and that was my experience and it was a very bad experience and we went through hundreds of people Mm -hmm. in the nine months i was there and um you know, it's just 
and not to say that there weren't good people there doing the right thing mm-hmm. too that comes from corporate but this is one of the top at the time this company was one of the top landscape companies in the nation so yeah. we're, we're talking billion dollar we're, we're talking right now that goes against the green of what is a billion dollar industry mm-hmm. yeah. you know easily yeah. so i just wanted to share that experience yeah that, and uh I th- it brings up some of the things that I mentioned in that Sewell's podcast, it kind of started that whole turf grass lawn conversation was uh, I was watching a YouTube video and obviously YouTube goes to a national audience. It's not like you can select who's going to watch it. And uh, and this person was based out of the Midwest and they were basically saying, oh, yeah, you need to do this. You need to do this. And he was giving like dates and saying, oh, and around like the first weekend, October, you're going to want to fertilize. And this I forget exactly what it was talking about, but. It was like very specific information saying, oh, if you live in this area or he, he actually did break it up north and south. Yeah. But it was like you have to fertilize. You have to put down weed killer. You have to uh, reseed at this time. You have to do this. And it was very scheduled. And but he never talked about what the person's soil looked like. You know, no. if you put down fertilizer and you don't need fertilizer, you're not doing anything to help the plant. It's, no. it's not going to benefit the plant in any way no. if it has all the nutrients it can use already. And I, I know a, a lot of is said about golf courses and the amount of chemicals they mm-hmm. use. But if you think about college campuses mm-hmm. or business campuses, yeah. you know, this that company I'd worked for, their main business was commercial spraying, yep. you know, where they would go to campus. They would have crews stationed at that campus mm-hmm. year round just mm-hmm. doing spraying and, and fertilizing and maintenance yeah. to keep – a lawn that no one was using mm-hmm. you know and i guess that's where where we both i i think you feel the same way if, if you're using it there is a purpose for lawn mm-hmm. in in certain amounts yeah. um if you're using it but this is lawn that wasn't it was for show not for yes. use yeah. so i thought i i had kind of looked up some stats i know you looked up some stats mm-hmm. i thought maybe we could kind of kick it off with some stats that yeah you know just about yeah. and then we can ethically talk about it a little bit more mm-hmm. so uh i i got these stats from columbia university um homeowners use 10 times the amount of pesticide and fertilizer per acre than farmers do on crops that's shocking to me mm-hmm. um and i'll even go take that a step further and uh, this is not from columbia university this is yeah. from tom's brain <laughs> um but a lot of times when we talk about homeowners versus farmers you have homeowners misusing those pesticides yeah. and, and herbicides and fertilizers where the farmers tend to uh, generalize generally speaking are using it properly they, they they're, aren't they're getting, overusing it and, and misusing they're it. getting licensed mm-hmm. uh for the most part and are following the directions yeah. or even working with sales reps to make sure they're using yeah. the right product and the right even thing. kicking back to our our chemicals last buzz about chemicals is like we're i'm i'm a licensed um pesticide applicator i'd barely i was at one point in pennsylvania Uh, i I think we have like six or seven people who are licensed through the state so you learn a lot most i would say probably 90 percent of what we use at the nursery when we when we do use stuff it's stuff you can go buy at home depot yeah and you don't need any license to use it exactly (laughs) you're not following directions you're just doing it so um 30 to 60 percent of urban fresh water is used on lawns Mm -hmm. that one yeah really shock me and that's where ray really kicked in say yeah in the northeast where you get enough rain that you don't need to irrigate okay yeah have a lawn but 
out in Arizona and New Mexico and Colorado. Colorado's a big yeah. state where they're diverting all this water just to irrigate a lawn. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. You know, the the one stat that that Ray shot out there that really shocked me was that 40% of our rainfall comes from inland plant materials mm-hmm. and that these some of these places that were delicately balanced by taking too much of that plant material away to create cities is what created the barren conditions yeah. and and the drought mm-hmm. so they went from being meadows to desert mm-hmm. and it's it's that that really amazes me so the yeah. amount of water that's used just because it's what you're taught and what your neighbors want to see or what you want to see mm-hmm. um american lawns occupy 30 to 40 million acres of land yeah, which makes that legitimately the largest crop in the in the united yeah. states yeah and that's most of that's lawn folk we we think about golf courses and you have turf farms too most of that's lawn yeah, uh, yeah. The golf courses make up very little of that that total and not all of yeah. that is used yeah you know yep. i i understand a soccer field yeah. i understand a baseball field yeah i understand a patch of grass that your children are going to play on mm-hmm. um, but that 40 million acres is more than corn what's in corn production and yeah. soybean production and a lot of yeah. other different crops yeah so um, lawnmowers to maintain these American lawns account for 5% of our nation's air pollution. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's nice to see, uh, uh, listeners like McCoy Horticulture, yeah. Richard McCoy yep. switching to electric, mm-hmm. uh, equipment. That's, you know, every little bit helps. Yep. Um, yep. 17 million gallons of fuel are spilt during refilling of this lawn garden equipment. Which is amazing to me because you look at that 17 million gallon number. Um, and I'd seen this t- uh, statistic before. Uh, that's more uh, gasoline than there was oil in the BP uh, Deepwater Horizon explosion. Yeah, <laughs> like there, that's more gallons, and that's that, per year. That's, that's per not year. Yeah, total. That's per year. So, and I, I get it. I've, I've, I've been there filling up the lawnmower, filling up the I've weed whacker. It spills. It's like you, you're not, or even when you're paying attention, you get close to the top and just. It spills a little I, bit. I've it's... accidentally swallowed gasoline. <laughs> I'm not going to ask how you did that. <laughs> I, I, I worked back in the late 80s. I worked landscaping for about a year, mm-hmm. and I was refilling equipment, but the gas cans were on a shelf. And as I was pulling the gas can off, it got caught on the shelf, and it came out of the spout. And I'm glad it didn't land in my eyes, yeah. but it went directly into my mouth. Yeah. So – not a good. This is a little sidebar, but have you ever seen the the <laughs> Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia? No. It used to be on Netflix. I I don't know wh- what it's on now, but it's a uh, a story about this Appalachian family mm-hmm. who um their dad was like a famous uh clogger. Oh, okay. So, but then um, I think I've heard of this actually. I I might have told you about it before, but eventually like a lot of the once he he was actually murdered and then after that the family kind of lost its way outside of the the matriarch um and they turned to drugs and but one of the the sons um was like huffed a lot of gasoline (laughs) but they said he was so good that he could tell you what octane it was because wow yeah so which i i've i've never even tried it if you've never had gasoline in your mouth (laughs) it what it did was completely suck every bit of moisture yeah like out of like your mouth completely like dries up Mm. like a desert like it was like Mm. one of the scariest things to me that i've ever encountered made sure i never got gas in my mouth yeah and that made me think of people that siphon gas yeah yeah i'm like that's like 
because you yeah. have to get it to the point where you know it's coming out. And I'm like, how many times has this person swallowed gasoline? Mm-hmm. All right, so that's a different time. All right, so I have a couple more stats. Uh, Per the Washington Post, the average American spends 70 hours a year on their lawn and garden. Now, that's skewered because that's lawn and garden. Mm -hmm. And we think you should be spending – well, I shouldn't say – you should be spending more time loving your your garden. Than than maintaining it. it, Yeah, yeah. I agree. Like sometimes as a peace of mind, you like working in the garden just Mm -hmm. for some quiet and becoming one with Mm -hmm. it. But – um, and then my last stat that I looked up was per Freakonomics that Americans spend roughly $60 billion a year in the turf ga- grass industry. Mm-hmm. So I think the funny thing is that the, the things that I tend to be ag- against are all things that are big business. And I'm yeah. not against <laughs> yeah. big business. I'm against the wrong business. Mm-hmm. You know, But you have turf grass. You have honeybees. What was the other one? Oh, cultivars. Yeah. <laughs> all things that – are really going against the message that we're trying to spread, but they're such a big industry that they're mm-hmm. they're not going to go down. I'm going to disappear yeah, before these uh, these businesses. And do. it makes sense. It's if someone was attacking your way of life and how I, you did I things for years. It. Oh yeah. yeah, you're going to defend it unless you're presented with really compelling evidence on why you need to change. But um, it, it, it can change. When I was a kid, I used to get yeah. beat with a belt. I don't think that's too acceptable yeah. anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I don't know that I ever got beat. The belt got pulled out. My dad was a portly guy. And that was a big belt. Yeah. Like when that belt came, when that belt came whipping, I was I was fast, fast young, yeah. and I could I could get away quick. I don't. I'm thinking. I was like, did I ever really get hit, or did I just get threatened and was good at getting yeah. away? Yeah. So, but like, there's a lot of things that were acceptable 40 years ago oh, that yeah. aren't acceptable yep. now. Yep. If if we keep spreading the word and and mm-hmm. giving good education hopefully that these things can yeah. change but the one thing so we've listed off some of the downsides of lawn yeah. but some of the benefits of it are it's a lot better than impervious surface yeah if you think and it's a lot way way better than bare soil yeah um and turf grass is really one of the only and there's when i say turf grass there's numerous species of grass that make up yeah. the what we consider lawn or turf grass um it's one of the only things that can tolerate the abuse that we we give it. Yeah. Uh, think about like places you're walking, playing uh, golf carts, um, going to play baseball or sports or soccer. There's not like think about doing that on your native plant garden. No. Are your plants going to live on, or not? On creeping flocks it's, or time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. It's you. There's a reason why there is turf grass because there is no alternate. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, yeah. for for those types. Yeah, there's of... very very few native species that that work in those conditions, yeah. um, and I don't know if there's any that are native to the northeast. There's uh, buffalo grass is actually yeah. native across, uh, I think, from like Canada down to um, Texas, New Mexico through the Midwest um, and western states, but it's not. I don't think buffalo, it's native here. Buffalo. You ever buffalo grass? I think is native is European also. I think there might be another. Have you ever had buff- buffalo grass vodka? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's a Polish specialty, huh. actually. Buffalo grass vodka with uh, interesting with uh, apple juice. Huh. There you yeah. go. That's my mix. Yeah. <laughs> That's my bartender suggestion for. But um, um, I wish we had looked up the stat for how much impervious surface there are. Oh um, yeah, it's... because that's that's a total killer right mm-hmm. there. You yeah, know, but yep. sorry. Yeah, so with impervious surface, what happens is um, when it rains is basically the big thing. Uh, the water is just going off into storm drains or it's going in the lawn or rain garden retention basin that's that's on the edge of that impervious surface uh which is fine it, it's 
I shouldn't even say that's fine. It's bad because it should be seeping into the soil yeah. slowly. But um, the bigger issue is, okay, well, I just washed my car on my driveway, which driveway's paved its impervious surface. Uh, so now I have all that soap is, is built up in the – or I had a leak in my gas tank, yeah. and, well, now all that gas is – moving along with that water and going into I, your soil, I, which eventually will make its way into yeah, the groundwater. I spilled gas while filling my lawnmower. Yep, you yep. Know, it's... So that's where the issue is with impervious surface. And grass is uh, is better than impervious surface because yeah. you're sequestering some carbon. Yep. Um, you're, you're using some carbon, too, when you go and mow that grass or you maintain that grass or uh, you're fertilizing that grass. You're releasing carbon when you do those activities, but it is sequestering carbon up to, I think, like 900 pounds a year, okay. roughly. Um, so it can be a net carbon sink, yeah. um, depending on how you maintain it. Yeah. Now, uh, what's, now, I know you mentioned how much carbon it can sequester, but how does that compare with like forest oh it's it's in my opinion is not even close so one acre of turf request or can sequester usually like 900 to a thousand pounds if you were to look at like a grassland uh you're looking at like 2500 pounds at a minimum like a a quality grassland not a a really poor grassland um and then forests can be in that like 2000 to 6000 pound range depending on the quality of your forest um so yeah that those native systems can sequester a lot more carbon but they can't take the abuse that we give them they can't take the walking the running and they also don't provide um the safety requirements that a lot of, of yeah. what we need like you think about a college campus quad uh where you want it to be well lit and visible and well, you wouldn't want indian grass on the side where yeah. it's six feet tall and and you have like this indian grass prairie in there well you don't know what could be it could be animals it could be yeah. attackers it could things can hide in there and not be seen you want to have short grass that you can see is well lit and you can see across yeah. so there's some safety concerns too that we you don't get with a lot of native plants yeah yeah even if you had taller native plants you wouldn't get canadian geese and the nitrogen mm-hmm. that they expel yeah. um mm-hmm. because they like that well manicured lawn and they're just including more nitrogen in there so yeah. it's now, one of the things we actually had a listener write in um, to talk about some, like his lawn weeds, right? Yeah. And uh, the benefits of them, which is one of my pet peeves, I guess, is I see every year. It's like, oh yeah, the dandelions and the all this stuff is so good. Well, it's in my opinion, and this is yeah. Sam Drogi said yeah. this too, uh, and he was episode six, I think. Yeah, he was so one of the early episodes with yeah. the the yeah. National Bee Inventory. The dandelions are aren't bad but they aren't really providing that much of a benefit is it better than nothing grass or nothing oh yeah for sure but there's so many native species that are so much more beneficial and just uh just having one of them is way better than having hundreds of dandelions in your yard exactly so uh yeah so there's it's not like i said it's not bad but it's not as beneficial as it definitely is it's beneficial it's made out to be on facebook yeah um that's like I said. It's one of my pet peeves. Every year, as you see this like flood of oh, save the dandelions by saving the dandelions, you're saving the bees. Well, not really. <laughs> the bees need other stuff more than the dandelions. Yeah. Um, but so, so we we talked about negatives. We talked about some of the positives. Mm-hmm. What can our listeners do? We all, we always like to give that that approach. Like, all right, here's here's what you can do with this information that we just gave you. Yeah. So. so the first thing you need to do is, is fix your soil. Um, and this is another reason why turf grass is an, another where reason it's beneficial. And Stephanie Murphy, actually, we went back and forth a little bit about 
turf grass. Yeah. Um, and she supplied me with a lot of the stuff that her husband, who's the, the chair of the Rutgers turf program now, um, had written. And she actually worked on a lot of this stuff, too. Turf grass can grow in compacted soils. And you think about a lot of our housing developments, specifically here in New Jersey in the Northeast, well, none of that's native soil. It's all been moved around and you had big equipment driving on it for when, then yeah. even when they're building the houses, now you have more equipment driving on it. So it's really, really compacted. And she was saying well, there's a really common um, uh, image that's used with a lot of native plant discussions where it shows like, oh, this is how deep the roots are in Echinacea purpurea and big blue stem and little blue stem and look how deep the roots go and here's turf grass and it barely goes uh, like anywhere. And, uh, and she says, oh, yeah, turf grass is definitely going to be shallow, shallower rooted than a lot of these other species. But a lot of times when we look at how shallow rooted turf grass is, it's because that soil is so compacted, too. Yeah. And now if you're doing a lot of irrigation and, and well, now it's just and all your fertilizers up top, there's no reason for the roots to go deep. Yeah. So she said a lot of the reason why the turf grass roots aren't as deep as those is, isn't necessarily just because they aren't as yeah. as deep rooting it's because we're giving them everything they need right at the surface um so that's one of the things you need to do is start fixing your soil that's one of the things that dandelions are actually beneficial with yeah. is they have a little bit deeper root than than um the grass is so they're actually gonna break up that soil a little bit more than than your turf grass yeah. would yeah. But uh, but the biggest things you can do is return some organics to that soil. So if you're composting, spread it on your lawn. Don't yeah. just let it go to waste if you have extra at the end of the year. Spread it on your lawn. Um, when you mow, make sure you're leaving the clippings. Uh, don't bag it up and, and dump it somewhere unless you're going to compost it and then it. return yeah. it. But uh, if you just mow so that there's short clippings and you're putting it back into the soil – that organic material is going to break down and be beneficial. Same thing with leaves in the fall. I have never bagged clippings. Yeah, never raked them up. Never bagged. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which uh, I actually had some kids ride by my house right after I got done mowing last summer. My wife happened to be sitting on the porch. and I don't know if they saw her there. And then they were like yelling. And I'm like, you got to clean up your grass. <laughs> they were yelling <laughs> right after I mowed. But um, And and you know what? That's, that's coming from their parents. And that's, yep, you know, yep. that's just perception but um and same thing we talked about leaving leaves well you should leave them just for the the lepidoptera lepidoptera species and and other species that need that stuff but uh if you do need to clean them up mulch them up and either compost them or just mow them and then leave them there and um and that'll return some some nutrients and organic material back into your lawn and improve your soil over time so that's one of the first things you can do um one of the next steps was just reducing the your lawn to the areas that you actually use. Yeah. Well, like we said, if you're if you're kids and they're playing in the backyard, well, you're going to want grass. You don't want them running over your your yeah. flocks like you just said. Yeah. So you're going to want some grass. So think about like where you have swing sets. If you have walkways where oh this is where I walk to the pool, well utilize that as turf and then plant in areas around it. Yeah. Um, if you have areas that like you want to keep safe, like in your front yard, and you want to make sure that you can see the road or you can see people yeah. who are who are walking up to your door, well, yeah, that's probably a place you want to yeah. want to have grass. Yeah. So we're not we're not necessarily saying get rid of all lawns are bad. Get rid of your lawns. Just reduce it. Like evaluate where you're at, and if you mm-hmm. can take out some square footage of yeah. lawn, that would be wonderful. Yeah, that's uh, I brought up the example with the, in the gardening episode that John McGee said, and he was saying how. They had these big lawns in this development that they that they put uh, these native gardens in, 
and before they put the native gardens in, and he's like, no one had any backyard patio furniture. No one was outside grilling. And then they put these gardens in, and then all of a sudden there's people outside, and people were using that space. Well, yeah, so have a lawn if you're using that space. If you're not going out there, what's the point of having it? You're maintaining it. You're so a lot of times irrigating it, fertilizing it, but you're not utilizing it. Um, so keep lawn where you're going to utilize it. You don't need it where you're not walking on it and using it on a a weekly or monthly basis so uh next step is well you have those places where you aren't utilizing on plant native plants that's a a big step because now not only are you reducing your carbon footprint where you're putting lawn or taking out lawn you're not mowing that and maintaining that area anymore um but you're now you're adding stuff that's beneficial for the soil, beneficial for pollinators, beneficial for wildlife. They would use less water, yep. less maintenance. It would keep the insect uh, population in check or should help yeah. balance things. You're, yeah. you're looking for that balance. So mm-hmm. that more native plants would definitely help help with that balance. Yeah. And I don't know if we talked about this before. I talked about it in another presentation. But, like, a lot of people say, oh, well, if I bring in all these other bugs, I'm going to have mosquitoes. I'm going to mosquitoes actually are pollinators one but they they thrive in stagnant water yeah so clean up those stagnant water areas and you'll actually do a better job keeping mosquitoes away having the native plants because you're bringing in all the predatory insects and bats and and um and birds that are going to eat the mosquitoes too versus just having grass and then still having those wet areas where you're you're gonna have mosquitoes in the summer you, you know and i mentioned agatha's backyard uh up to a natural area in the summer we literally just watch the bats picking off yeah the mosquitoes yep. at dusk mm-hmm. you know that the, the sky fills with bats and you just watch it so it's you know but they have the habitat for that so create that habitat make it make it the right habitat for these mm-hmm. things and, and it would work yeah and then the last thing that we had here which is a, more of a group of things was uh use more organic approaches what? and this is where where mccoy horticultural this is what they specialize in yeah one one of the things i will point out when i worked for the the lawn care company mm-hmm. was that if anyone called in asking for organic approaches we were told to tell them that that doesn't work mm-hmm and to only sell chemical approaches. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we just had a collapse in the office here. <laughs> it's okay. We're almost done. But, um, yeah, so the first thing you got to know is that this isn't a golf course. So you don't need to have it mowed like it's a, a putting green. <laughs> yeah. Because that is going to, one, first thing, it's going to stress out your, your grass that you do have. Yeah. Um, Two, it's going to open up a lot of ground to weeds. Um, I should back up. When you stress out your grass, that's when you need way more of those inputs. Yeah. If yeah. you're constantly – think about it. You're literally cutting off the top of a, a living, breathing plant. You have something that's that's transpiring and, and is living, and you're decapitating it every week. And you're, you're creating <laughs> like, more bare surface. Yeah. It's, it's opening up that ground even yeah. more. So would you rather just have something take off – the like the little bit of the top of your hair or like buzz you scalp down to the you. scalp yeah. every time yeah. <laughs> and then maybe nick you a little <laughs> bit no you want to have something that is like a better haircut and that's what you're doing with your grass you want to make sure you're mowing there's actually uh, i got a tour of um the university of maryland turf grass facility mm-hmm. last or two falls ago and they did a study about mowing heights and they mowed like a plot at one inch two inches three inches and four inches and then studied how many weeds came up and when they mowed it at one inch, it was a ton of weeds. Wow. 
when you mowed it at two inches, you had less weeds, but you still had a lot of weeds. Yeah. You mowed it at three, in, three inches, oh, your weed pressure went way down. And when you mowed it at four inches, you almost had no weeds. Wow. So if you want fewer weeds, you don't need to mow it short and then use weed killers and use fertilizers and all this stuff. Just mow it a little bit taller and you're not going to have the, the weed pressure. And, um, and your soil temperature is going to go way down, too, yeah. which is beneficial in its own right. Yeah. When you have shorter grass or bare soil, your soil temperatures go through the roof on, like, a hot, sunny day like we're going to have today. Right. Totally. So, um, this was from a university – or Rutgers University okay. where uh, they actually have a new organic land care oh, group, okay. which, again, McCoy Horticulture is a part. Stephanie yeah. Murphy's on it. Her husband's on it. They want to do more of this stuff. And um, – that was they have a whole thing called the law of returns okay where the big thing is you don't want to mow your grass and take away those long clippings put them back in because yeah. now that's becoming some organic material it's returning nutrients to yeah. your soil it's helping rebuild your soil versus uh only taking away yeah. uh, same thing you're pulling nutrients out of the soil through your grass you mow it and now you're taking away well those nutrients are gone yeah. forever in that case if you leave the clippings and you mulch the clippings they're now they're going back in. So um, look at your, your fertilizer and irrigation. And again, recognize, do, well, one, do I actually have to do it? You live in the Northeast in, in our case. You probably don't, as long as you have the right species of grass. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's tons of species of grass. Everyone wants Kentucky bluegrass, but... Well, we always talk about the right plants in the right place. <laughs> yeah, a lot exactly. of time when lawn is failing, it's the mm -hmm. the, the wrong grass yeah. in the in the wrong place. Yeah, you mentioned you have zoysia grass in yeah. your yard, and zoysia grasses. So you have this is with native plants too, but you have warm season grasses and cool season grasses. Here in southern New Jersey, we're kind of in a transition zone, so you can get away with some warm season grasses, um, but you're probably going to want predominantly cool season grasses. We're at the very edge, northern limit of that transition zone. Um, warm season grasses are going to green up later in the year, and uh, where cool season grasses basically germinate and they'll they'll become more active at cooler soil temperatures. Yeah. That's the the biggest difference. Is yeah. you have cool soil temperatures in uh, March, April, May, and then getting into May, June, July. That's when your soil temperatures raise and your warm season grasses become more active. Yeah. So you look at something like Kentucky bluegrass or your tall fescues, which are cool season grasses, you're going to have a green up early in the spring. When the, soil, when the sun gets too hot, they actually get stressed out, and that's why your lawns are going to brown out yeah. in the summer, but they'll stay greener over the winter where your zoysia grass is going to look dead in the winter and then yeah. be really lush and green in the yeah. summer. That's why your warm season grasses versus cool season grasses. You can sometimes use a mix of those grasses. You want to make sure you have the right mix of species. Like I said, everyone wants Kentucky bluegrass. That might not be the right mix for well, you. And you want to have a mix of uh, Kentucky 31 is like the most popular one. Everyone yeah. advertised that. That's from like the 70s. Yeah. That's not even the best grass. But, but, but even where the zoysia is, yeah. it doesn't grow under the heavy shade. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't grow where it tends to be wetter. You know, yeah. it likes it dry and yeah. sunny. So it's – I have different grass types in different areas. Obviously, it's not surviving under some of the trees and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's yeah. – you know, just be cognizant of your conditions and your soil, yeah. just yeah. like with plants, and, mm -hmm. and put the right thing in the right place. So, yeah, like like we were saying, if you, if you have the right grass mix, you're returning those clippings back to uh, – back to your, your grass, and, um, and you're not in a place where like, – like all plants – Turf grasses are going to have their own moisture requirements. 
if you're trying to grow grass in the desert, you're going to have to artificially add those that moisture. Here in the Northeast, we don't have to. Well, that's going to limit your fertilizer and irrigation uses. Um, like I said, I I will to start grass. Well, yeah, you need moist soil. Yeah. We've haven't had much rain, so I was like, okay, if this grass is going to germinate, I need to get some moisture in there. Yeah. Um, to me, to me, I was always taught that the best germination and take for turf grasses were fall because yeah. you have the right temperature mm-hmm. and the right exactly the right moisture. You can get it yep. down without the extra water. Get it established before mm-hmm. winter. Yep. So come spring, you're you're you know ahead of it. Yep. So like exactly. if you're going to do an aeration, aeration is great for decompacting your soil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you can do that and and do your seeding in the fall if you're going to seed and it's it's the aeration at the same time. It's yeah. it's a good good combination yeah. at that point. So yeah, basically to summarize, we aren't saying you shouldn't get rid of lawn. Just get rid of the lawn that you aren't using. Plant more native plants in those places, and then the lawn you do have. Make sure you're maintaining it the right way. Yep. You're you have the right grass in place. Um, you're mowing it high, and it's it's actually pretty nice walking through like that tall, lush green grass yeah. when you with bare feet when yeah. it's mowed the right way when it's like not super yeah. short. Um, and honestly, I started to, when I went to that meeting. I yeah. started mowing it in my grass that way, and it was like a night and day. I used to cut it like two and a half, two and three quarter inches, yeah. and then I went to like three and a half, four inches, and it's like. Oh wow, my lawn looks so much better, yeah, I, and I don't add anything to it. It's just mowing and returning those clippings. Yeah, I leave mine on the high setting, and I try yeah. to mow as little as possible. Yeah. But that's because I don't like mowing. I don't yeah. like spending my time that way. It's at the end of my life. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to be sitting there calculating the amount of time I spent mowing the lawn because yeah. yeah. I can't <laughs> yeah. get that back. I'm like, man, I wasted yeah. at least three weeks <laughs> mowing yeah. lawns. I could have done so many better things. See, I I love mowing the lawn because I find I do my best uh, thinking there. And actually, fun fact is if uh, if I wasn't mowing the lawn, we probably wouldn't have this podcast because no. that's when I, the idea came to me. That, that's so, when I do my podcast listening yeah. is when I mow the yep, lawn. Exactly. So that's and that's what happened. I was listening to another podcast, and they had – uh, Dr. Dwayne Estes from SGI on, and uh, I was like, "Hey, we know him, and oh, we know a lot of other cool people who would be really cool to have on a podcast." Yeah, Fran's doing some music podcasting. Maybe we should have a podcast for plants. I'm gonna. Yeah. I actually turned off the mower, ran inside to tell my wife because I have also have a yeah. terrible memory, and uh, I was like, "If I let this go like another minute, I'm gonna forget." <laughs> so I literally ran inside and said, "Hey." Remind me if I forget that I need to tell. This was a Saturday. Yeah. Like t- I need to fr- tell Fran on Monday that we're going to start a Native Plants podcast, and um, and then we did. Yeah. Mo- and, like six and months here later. We are. Here we are. <laughs> so I think that wraps up yeah. the lawn. What do you think? I think that's, yeah, yeah. That's, it's a uh, yeah. It wraps up. It's a lot to think about. There's a, a lot, lot to think, think about, about, as always. But we we appreciate your comments. Uh, if you're a member of the Facebook group, uh, let us know your thoughts. If you have any cool practices or anything that you've learned, someone actually shared uh, a lawn. And yeah, just, remember. just yeah. last or yeah. earlier this week, they yeah. shared basically a lot of the same things we just talked about, yeah. and I think they were having a a webinar on this. I yeah. want to say it's on May third. I think so, so. It's coming up. I'm going to look up while Fran uh, okay. takes us into. So, his, you've been really positive, so I don't know. Yeah, no, and you know, I I I typically haven't had any complaints, but I do have one complaint, and that is that I keep forgetting the pod deck cards, so I <laughs> yeah. don't have them. So as soon as you look that up, I'm going to run out to get the pod deck. Yeah, card. yeah. So this was a uh, okay. So you can go. All I right. got this. Um, Claire Whitcomb actually shared, and she asked other people to please share it. it said, uh, learn how to skip the lawn chemicals and create a 
a yard that's safe for kids and pets. Sign up for this great talk May 3rd, 7.30 p.m. via Zoom at the Madison Public Library. Um, the ABCs of Organic Lawn Care. And basically, it's a lot of the same things we just talked about, but I bet they're going to do a... A better job of making it clear and concise. Fran and I like to ramble sometimes. So yeah. I, if you are interested in what we just talked about and you want a little bit more guidance, uh, go check out that webinar um, on May 3rd at 7.30 p.m. And say you, you're interested in this but you don't want to do it yourself, I would reach out to our friend Rick McCoy at McCoy Horticultural because that's what he specializes in. That's his whole thing that his business is built around is planting more native plants and using organic lawn care. And the last thing is uh, the Rutgers Organic Lawn Care thing. I'll share the links on our our website and um, and then the Facebook group awesome. as well for that because that's something they've started in the last year or two. That's that's pretty cool. I, so. I know many of you are going to find this hard to believe, but I was voted most talkative in high school. <laughs> yeah. So I was. So. Um. And we also received one 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 star review on a podcast too, that simply said "too chatty." Too chatty. <laughs> that was our that was our one star review. So I do want to uh, comment before I forget. I want to thank uh, Jake from Tennessee for the five star review. Yeah, and and we've actually corresponded a little bit, and and he's another uh, person uh, that's a landowner trying to do the right thing and looking for some great information. So hopefully we can expand uh, some of our future topics to kind of help cover. You know. He, I, I think his biggest concern was how to on a like for a, a landowner on a large scale to remove invasives. Mm -hmm. What some of the options were like going through options. Like we've had the invasive species strike team, and we talked about invasives, but yeah. not necessarily real in depth. I, I mm -hmm. Mike Van Cleft did go into some removal, but it's you know maybe do a little bit. We were talking about having. Um, uh, for a rooted discussion. What yeah, is it for, that, for habitat management. Habitat management. And that Maybe is that one of help. the big, big keys of habitat management is you got to take care of them. You can't just clean up what you want to clean up and then leave all the invasives because they're just going to take over. Yeah, you got to so, take care of them too. So hopefully maybe in that rooted discussion we can go a little more in depth. And we did receive a three-star review with no Interesting. with no comment. So that's not too bad. Yeah. It's middle of, they we, we, we strive okay. for average. So. Yeah, they thought we were okay. All right. Let me let me pick a card out here. Let's see what we got. Back to the future. Make some predictions. I, I, I'm I don't know if I understand. I'll just throw out some predictions. Let's do some industry predictions. Okay. Predict what we what we will see happening twenty years from now. Okay. Oh, well, I'm gonna throw out my own dates. <laughs> All right. <laughs> stuff. Okay. I actually predict that New Jersey is gonna have an invasive species uh plant ban in the next five years i i would agree with that i'd say five to ten years yeah i because i know this is something that has been going on yeah in new we, jersey we actually have a list yeah. of invasive species plants in new jersey um and there that is, my dad was a key part of putting yeah. together and and that's going back 20 years ago that was uh 2009 is when the list was okay. put out all right and um so when they would have been working on it for a while before then and i think mike van cleft was associated with that uh emil devito i'm pretty sure was associated yeah. with that you know and, the, uh, the thing is new jersey has a very large nursery mm -hmm. industry yeah. um so it's it's not an easy battle yeah you know it's yep. but i i do see that coming i don't know what shape or form it will take yeah but i do see but that I, the reason i say that is actually proposed legislation for to reintroduce that that commission um that that went away about 15 or 10 to 12 years ago and uh and restart that conversation so yeah. um and it just moved out of a committee and it's moving into i think the the house chamber now in awesome. the state so that's one how about you friend you got another one 
Let's see. I, you know, I think it's funny. In in the last fifteen years, we've seen the amount of our competition double, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen the amount of retail outlets double mm-hmm. for native plants. I think in the next fifteen years we're going to see more retail outlets for native plants. And we have some great ones. We mention all the time here in New Jersey, Wild Ridge Plants, Toad Shade, mm-hmm. uh, Earth First, Earth First um, uh, NPA. So you have Summer Sweet, Summer uh, Sweet. down in, in Cape May, uh, I want say. Yeah, Redbud Native Plant Nursery over in PA. I think mm-hmm. it's in uh, in Collins Nursery, Diane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't forget, do you have Geno's? Is, Geno's uh, in Newtown, PA. PA. Um, and... Um, Oh, I can't think of her. Edge of the Woods is mm-hmm. is another yep. one. So yep. locally here, there's there's some great places, but I probably could have thrown all those out ten and years ago too. Or... There's more and more just popping up all over the place. Um, it's just finding them is the big thing. Yeah. A lot of them are small. A lot of them don't have. Uh, this is a, a thing across most businesses. A lot of small businesses is they, uh, while they may be good at what they do they're small and they don't either have the time to invest in um, a marketing or social media presence uh, or they just aren't skilled in it because their skills in growing plants. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to find a lot of those places. All right. So let me, all right. 25 years from now, do you see an increase or decrease in um, uh, what's, how do I want to phrase it? Let's, like the same amount of love for honeybees 25 years from now oh i think it's going to be less less okay. um it's the research is really just coming out about yeah. honeybees yeah. and it's we've said it before honeybees serve a purpose they have the purpose their purpose might not be pollinating native plants yeah. um or i shouldn't say shouldn't isn't it's the research is pointing and saying it's not their purpose they actually harm a lot of our, our native bee populations when it comes to crops or even if you just want to produce honey okay yeah there's there's a benefit there but um i think eventually it might not be 25 years but it'll be at some point there's going to be a little bit of a turn here's, so. a, here's an interesting one for you i'll throw one more out and then we can end up 25 years from now well what we are doing right now with this podcast will it have made a difference uh that's another another tough one i think yeah. on personal levels yeah on, yeah on with a hand at least a handful of the listeners we yeah. have yeah i think we're we're making a difference we're just raising more awareness um i would love to be in a point where we didn't have to do this it's fun yeah. doing it yeah I was but i would love yeah. to to not feel like we're constantly like pushing a boulder uphill yeah um again like we're talking about lawn like, today there's the the turf grass industries like in a, a huge state of flux right now because there's all these acquisitions there's all these buying the price of seed grass seed is through the roof right now because there's companies that were there for a long time that got bought and um i have a lot of friends that are in that turf seed yeah. industry and uh they're saying oh i have contracts with companies that i've been working with for 20 years and all of a sudden they got bought by someone and my contract stripped up and now i have to buy the seed for like way more money yeah um so yeah there's a i you know what what makes it worthwhile for me is you know you'd love to be able to convert everyone to us mm-hmm. to a, a small patch but i had a friend reach out to me this morning from high school i've known um i've known sue since i was probably 17 years old and from she joined our facebook group and she's started mm-hmm. listening to the podcast and wants to start incorporating natives into our yard and she asked me if i would help that 
converting someone that I've yeah. known that long to say, hey, this is worthwhile and mm -hmm. it makes a difference and I, I'd like to play a part in this yep. was huge for yep. me. That was that was a nice feeling. Yeah. What we keep saying is it's got to become a bigger part of your everyday conversation and it's got to be easy and approachable. And this is one of the reasons we chose the tone of the yeah. podcast that we did was uh, uh, first probably getting like super scientific and stuff didn't really fit our personalities. No. But at the same time, it was, it's got to be a conversation where the guy who wants to sit out on his back porch with a, the football game on on a weekend afternoon, he's got to be un, almost unknowingly into native plants too. Yeah. It's just got to be a part of like keeping his lawn nice is using native plants. Yeah. And it's got to be easy for him to understand. It's got to be him or her. It's got to be easy for them to understand. And and uh, that was one of my gripes is we tend to make things like super, super difficult. And yeah. we're arguing about minutia when the biggest thing is, hey, people just got to switch from Japanese barberry to Vaccinium or yeah. Ilex or something yeah. native. Give them a go we got to be using yeah. something native instead of something that's outright harmful to the environment. Yeah. That's the first step. Yeah. Um, and it's got to be, like I said in that Facebook group, it's got to be something that is easy for people to decipher and they're just they're making yeah. those decisions without knowing all the, and, the, the the scientific information and everyone has to be included we have members of our facebook group that are beekeepers and yeah. we don't necessarily agree with the honeybees but they're part of the context yeah. and maybe at oh, one yeah. point they, they they'll see more our side or mm -hmm. maybe we'll even see more of their side i don't know but it's at least the conversation is happening and i appreciate mm -hmm. that that yep. we we created yep. a space where you know, I, I I wouldn't be able to do a scientific podcast because I'm not scientific. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to do one that was super serious because I'm not super serious. Yeah. <laughs> I can be, but not consistently. So yeah. it's, um, I I think we created a, a good space and hopefully it it's making a difference. The fact that we have people like Skip Burns that have and and Richard McCoy who's in the industry mm -hmm. who who's been listening from the beginning and we're still able to turn their eyes to something maybe they didn't see or didn't hear mm -hmm. is, is worthwhile yep. for me. Yep, exactly. I'm very, very, very proud of this. All right. Yeah, I, and I, for anyone at home, if you have predictions, share them in the group. Yeah, I would love to know. It's, yeah, we want to know everyone else's predictions. So. Yeah, I would, you know, and, you know, you can call the question and comment line and leave them on that. We'd be happy to play it. I wonder if Saul has predictions. Yeah. Uh, or, <laughs> yeah. you, or you can put them in the Facebook group and yeah, we, can, yeah, yeah. we can discuss them there. So, All right. Well, with that, we are wrapped up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. As always, we're giving a huge thank you to RJ Comer for our Buzz theme music. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream or buy your music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Instagram also at Native Plants Healthy Planet, um, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We have the question and comment line that we just mentioned. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question, leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, we'll play it and answer it on a future episode of The Buzz. Let's not forget about our Facebook group. Man, we, we picked up a lot of new mm -hmm. members. I think we're up to 360-some members yeah, at yep. this point. So, uh, And a lot of new members are pitching in, and uh, we're happy to see that. So keep it going. Yeah, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast really at your favorite uh, streaming service. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. 
in addition, you can listen to it on our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. I always feel like I'm saying too few or too more too many W's in Not that. even good. But I've, I think I've nailed it outside of last week. I keep waiting for you to go into the WB commercial, the WWWWB. <laughs> that might have been before my time, friend. I don't oh, know. You don't, oh, so, I just aged myself. Um, when you're there, when you're on that, that app, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whatever, uh, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and share this with a friend. It really, really helps not just us, but, but helps spread the message of native plants and how beneficial they are. With that, thanks, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. We'll see you again next week for our meter guest. I don't want to say who it is because I'm pretty sure it's firm, but I just didn't get that last confirmation. Yeah. Should I throw it out or no? Uh, we can we can keep them waiting. It's called okay. a tease. Yeah, it's a yeah. You gotta you gotta wait to find out. But it's 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 a great organization that we're we're happy to yeah. to talk to uh, in the heart of the city. Yes. So uh, we'll see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.